Amen. Well, it is good to be here again tonight. It's good to be anywhere sometimes, isn't it? Amen. And I'm just glad to be here and glad that you're here. Thank you for your faithfulness. It's been a long week, hasn't it? Church, every night so far, and uh, you've been faithful to be here since Sunday, and I want to thank you um, for that. I know many of you have a long drive to get here, and I know that's an encouragement to your pastor and to many others that are here, and that's a blessing. And we've loved our time in Montana once again, and uh, we love what God's doing here in your church. You guys have a great church, and I think you know this. You have a wonderful pastor, and he's a blessing. And um, I want to just say this as we, before I get into, get into the message just real quickly. I hope you thank God every day for your preacher. Um, I had a call already since I've been here from another town in Montana begging for someone to come to their town and start a church. Just an hour from here. Begging for a young man to come and to fill a pulpit there. And I, you may not know this. I know this because I'm at my church and then I preach literally in a different church every week of my life. Your pastor, if he didn't have a heart for you and for this church, he would not be here. Tomorrow, he could pick up the phone and be in a church, full-time salary, staff members, buildings, places like that. But you know why he's not? Because his, heart, his heart's here. And he loves you. And I, I'm encouraged by that. I'm encouraged and I'm thankful for that. And I hope you're thankful for him. And I pray that you'll be an encouragement to him. He's doing a great job. And I've tried to encourage him with that. And him and his wife, they're such a blessing. And they've been an encouragement to me and Sarah. And we've learned so much um, from them. I want to just uh, preach a message out of Acts chapter number 21 tonight. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn there. Acts chapter number 21. And we'll read verses. Uh, we're going to read a... Let's, let's start in verse... Uh, Let's go ahead and start in verse number 1, and we're going to read down through verse number 16, and we're going to teach through this text tonight. Acts chapter number 21, beginning in verse number 1. The Word of God says this, And it came to pass that after we were gotten from them, and had launched, we came to a straight course unto Coos, and the following unto Rhodes, and from thence unto Paraterra. And basically what's happening is Paul and his, his, those that are serving with him, each day they're going on a ship and they're going from town to town. Look at verse number 2. Finding a ship and sailing over into Phoenicia, we went aboard and set forth. Now when we had discovered Cyprus, we left it on the left hand and sailed unto Syria and the landed entire, for their ship was to unlade her burden. And finding disciples, we tarried there seven days, who said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. And when we had accomplished those days, we departed and went our way. And they brought us on our way with wives and children till we were out of the city, and we kneeled down on the shore and prayed. When we had taken our leave one of another, we took a ship and then returned home again. When we had finished our course from Tyre, we came to Ptolemus and saluted the brethren and abode with them one day. The next day we were at Paul's company, departed, and came to Caesarea. And when we entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. And the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. When he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle, and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When they had heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go 
to Jerusalem. Let us pray tonight. Father, we love you. Lord, we do thank you tonight for your word, God. We thank you that it's perfect, it's inspired, it's infallible. Lord, we thank you that we have a copy of your holy word. Lord, I pray tonight as we preach and teach your word, God, I pray that you would speak to us. Lord, I pray that you would grow each one of us tonight. I pray that you would help us. God, I pray, Lord, that you would do in our hearts once again what only you can do. Lord, tonight we don't come, Lord, to hear from a man, Father, but we need to hear from you tonight. Lord, I pray on this Wednesday night, this last night of this revival service, God, I pray that you would revive our hearts. God, I pray that you would encourage us. Lord, I pray that we'd be busy about your business until that day when we see you face to face. Lord, I pray that once again, Lord, you'd give us good liberty tonight, that your spirit would move. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Paul was a man, if you study his life, he was a man of great conviction. A man of courage, a man of true purpose. Since that conversion, if you remember, since he got saved on that Damascus road and God had changed his life, his, his life was not one that was easy. It was marked by persecution. I mean, it was a road that had, uh, had pain in the world's eyes. And, and, and in honesty, many uh, quote unquote modern day churches and attenders, uh, we, we think that being saved is going to make us live the American dream. There's a lot of people that think you get saved, then everything's going to be good. You get saved, you're going to have no problems. Paul got saved, and from the day he got saved and started preaching, he was drug out of city after city. He was bound, he was jailed, he was having problems, he was having issues, he was under, listen, he was under attacks constantly, he had been beaten, and he had been left for dead. And here's the awesome thing about Paul. Through all that, guess what Paul did? He continued. He never quit. He kept on going. Man, he didn't have it easy. He had a hard way. As we're going to see in our text even here, man, it's being prophesied that his life is going to be threatened once again. Yet he, con- he continues. He had a, listen, he had a calling on his life. And he believed it. He, he moved forward with faith. He wasn't, he wasn't a fly-by-night Christian. He was one that when he got saved by the grace of God, it made a difference in his life for the rest of his life. And he knew, listen, I believe Paul never forgot who he was before he walked down that Damascus road. A terrorist carrying out threatenings on the church, even witnessing the stoning of Stephen. A man that, listen, had done some terrible things, but God came into his life and changed his life. And aren't you thankful that God changes lives tonight? Man, God changed his life. He took that terrorist and he made him a preacher and made him a great missionary and a great church planner. Let's dive in our text and just want to preach a simple message to you tonight on having resolve, on deciding not to quit. Look at verse number one of our text. It says this, after we had gotten from them, after we had gotten from them, literally means Listen, it carries the idea of tearing away. He had just gotten away from the Ephesian elders and the church there at Ephesus had loved him, but he knew what God wanted him to do. He leaves and begins this journey towards Jerusalem. Verse number 3, we saw him going from ship to ship and from town to town. He's basically traveling. Each one of these stops represents a day. His ship would sail during the day and then they would port each night. In verse number 4, he is in Tyre and the believers there warn him that he should not go to Jerusalem. Man, the Holy Spirit here had, had, was telling them to tell him that there was danger ahead. The Holy Spirit was using them to warn him what was going to happen. Now, the prophecies we see here and in the next verse don't seem to be there for the purpose of talking him out of going, but more for preparing him for what is ahead. So God used these people to prepare Paul to say, hey, there's some danger ahead. And it is amazing when he knows there's danger ahead, he didn't tuck tail and run. 
What did he do? He continued their mission. He knew, he knew, he, he knew he would probably going to be run out of a town again. He knew that persecution was on the game, was on the way again. But listen, he didn't quit. He kept on moving. He kept going forward. God had a call for him. Verse number 5, it was customary for them to go with a traveler to the outskirts of the city as the traveler leave the city. Here we find Christians once again together praying for him. What an awesome scene this must have been on that seashore. I want you to picture it. He's getting ready to sail off. Man, the Christians who had prophesied to him that there's dangers ahead, they're on their knees. Man, this crowd of disciples, men, women, and children, praying together, corporately praying. We can only imagine what they prayed. I can imagine them weeping and praying over Paul and praying for grace, praying for protection, praying for power, and praying for God to work. Just as a side note, can I just remind you tonight that we need to be people of prayer for our church and for our ministry. Listen, many of us, most of us aren't going to get up here and preach a sermon. Not all of us are going to get up and sing a special. Not all of us can teach a class. Not all of us have the abilities and the gifts of administration. But there's something that every single Christian can do. And that's go before Almighty God and to pray. Listen, your pastor, he needs your prayers. This church needs your prayers. You need your prayers. And they're on the seashore and they're praying. Verse verse number 8. Every city... That he would go to, there would be Christians. Look at verse number eight. The next day, they they were that was Paul's company departed and came to Caesarea. And when he entered into the house of Philip the evangelist, which was one of the seven, abode with him. Philip here. So every city they would go to, there would be Christians. And by the way, it's awesome how the gospel had spread. Man, revival was taking place. It was going from town to town. Every town he would go in, there would be a commonality. With the gospel. It's kind of like what we're doing tonight. We have a family visiting from another state across the country. And guess what their commonality is? Coming in here tonight. And why they're here tonight. The gospel. Okay. That's what brings us together. And that's what was happening. He comes across Philip the the evangelist. Now Philip had been one of the seven chosen to be a deacon. And now he's called to be an evangelist. It's interesting. There's no one else in the book of Acts called an evangelist. Timothy is told to do the work of evangelist. Philip would hold this title. It was Philip who preached in Samaria and many other cities in Acts 8. He was the first one to preach the gospel to the non-Jews across the land. He was the first one to preach to the Samaritans. It is recorded that he preached the gospel, if you remember, to the Ethiopian unit. It's interesting to note that Paul, before he had been being saved, guess who one of his enemies was? It was Philip. And now because of the gospel, they're united and they're serving the Lord together. Verse number 9, we won't get into this too much, but Philip had four daughters here that are called prophetesses. And then look at verse number 10 and 11. This this prophet shows up on the scene. And stay with me, because we're going somewhere with this for us. I promise, stay with me. And I don't mean to bore you with the Bible tonight. Somebody help me. Look at verse number 9. And the same man which had four daughters and virgins which did prophesy, and as he tarried there many days, verse number 10, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. And when he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle. So he takes Paul's girdle here. And look what he does. He bounds his hand and his feet. He said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle and shall deliver him unto the hands of the Gentiles. Agabus here is prophesying that Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, 
The Holy Spirit has already told me that you, there's persecution coming. You're going to prison. You're going to jail. You're going to be locked up. They are going to come after you. And then look at verse number 12. Look what ends up happening. And when they heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go to Jerusalem. What that simply means is this. After they heard this prophecy, the Christians there said, Paul, don't go. Man, there's dangers there. Don't go. It's too... Man, the journey is going to be too hard. It's going to be too tough. You're going to be in captivity. You're going to be... Listen, they beg him not to go. And look what Paul answers them. Look at verse number 13. Then Paul answered, What mean ye to weep and to break my heart? Look at these words. I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Man, they beg him not to go. And what does Paul do? He said, don't cry for me. He says, I'm not only ready to be arrested. He says, I am ready to die for the name of Jesus. Look at verse number 14. When he would not be persuaded. Listen, they couldn't talk him out of it. We see saying, the will of the Lord be done. Look at verse number 15. And after those days... We took up our carriages, went to Jerusalem. There went with us also certain of the disciples of Caesarea and brought with the man of Cyprus and the old disciple in whom we should lodge. And when we were come to Jerusalem, the brethren re- received us gladly. With the prophecy of Agabus, it was no doubt clear what Paul would soon be facing. Listen, and I want you to think with me. Sometimes we read the Bible and we almost think like these are fairy tales and these weren't real people with real feelings and real stuff going on in their life. Yeah. Think about this with me. Paul knew, and it was no doubt clear, what he would soon be facing. He had feelings, just like you and I have feelings. He had emotions, just like we have emotions. He had concern, just like we have concern. He had a mind to logically think things through. Now, if I know danger is awaiting me, guess what I'm probably going to do? Turn the truck around. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not one of those... Listen, he knew what was coming. Man, an imminent arrest, possible death. I wonder if it ever crossed his mind, Brother Kyle, to sail back to Ephesus where everybody loved him. I wonder if it ever crossed his mind that the road ahead would be tougher than anything he had ever experienced up to this point. Either way, it sure seems like in his mind, his heart was set. He was moving forward for the cause of Christ. He showed great courage, didn't he? When it got tough. Paul had a word that I love. He had resolve. He had a word that I love. He had some grit. He had a word that I love. He had some commitment. Paul knew his purpose. And he didn't quit when it got tough. And let me just say this tonight. What if we could follow the example of Paul? Think about this. What does it take to get us sidetracked? What does it take to get us discouraged? What does it take to get us moving backwards? Man, I, we live in the days of soft Christianity. We get a hangnail and we're going to quit church. Somebody looks at us sideways. We don't like what somebody said to us. We don't like what somebody did. Man, we live in a day of comfort. We live in a day of apathy. We live in a day where we're weak. And listen, we, you know, and it shouldn't be that way. And I want to encourage you tonight. You know what we need a little bit of tonight? And we, we need to learn. We need to decide that we're going to have resolve like Paul had. I don't know about you, but I want to have that type of resolve. I don't want to look back on my life and say I wasted years. and Because I, I have wasted some but from this point off I don't want to waste anymore I want to move forward for the cause of Christ till Jesus comes 
What can we learn from Paul in this message? A couple things that I thought of about the resolve of Paul from the text is this. Paul did not make decisions based on emotion. He did not make decisions based on emotion. Look at verse number 13. Then Paul answered, What mean ye to weep and to break my heart? They were trying to convince him not to go. They were trying to get him to weep so he wouldn't go. Hey, this was hard. There was pressure for him not to go. Listen, there was weeping. This is an emotional moment around that seashore. Hey, they're trying to talk him out of going. He had the resolve not to get it caught up in it. He had a decision to make. He knew what God wanted him to do. He did not let his feelings detour him from his purpose. Can I just say this tonight? When we make emotional decisions, they're always bad decisions. There's times I wake up, can I just be transparent with you? And I don't feel like doing what's right. There's Sunday mornings when I wake up about 5 o'clock on Sunday morning. And I know it's about to be a long day. And I'm going to have to preach some people that look back at me and they don't even like me. Somebody help me this morning. Man, I know it's going to be hard sometimes. And i honest, be honest with you, there's times where I'm just tired. And I don't feel like going. But you know what we got to do in those moments? We can't make our decisions based on that feeling. We must make the decision based on what's right. When we base our decisions based on feeling, we're going to regret it every single time. And many times we have to reject human reasoning. And you know what we have to do? We have to trust the promises of God. It didn't make sense for Paul to get on that ship when he could have been loved and been back in Ephesus. But he knew that God had called him to do something. And he had determined and decided in his heart and in his mind, it doesn't matter how I feel, it doesn't matter what the other people are saying, because what were they doing? Paul, don't go. You're going to die. If he would have listened, oh my goodness, if he would have listened to the crowd, man, he wouldn't have fulfilled the purpose that God had for him. Man, if we're going to have the resolve of Paul, we've got to decide, you know what? Doesn't matter how I feel, I'm going to do what's right no matter what. Doesn't matter how I feel today, I'm going to do God's purpose for my life. Man, it doesn't matter how I feel in this relationship, I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I'm going to be the husband that God's called me to be. I, doesn't matter how I feel. Sunday morning rolls around and Wednesday night rolls around. Doesn't matter when I, you know, when it's you know in Montana and it's negative twenty degrees and Sunday morning rolls around and that fire's clackling in the living room and those covers are warm and I can just watch it on Facebook. <laughs> you know what we got to do? Reject human reasoning, reject feeling, and trust the promises of God and be obedient anyways. Amen. And I want to just I want you to think about it. think about it. you ever just emotionally overreacted to a situation? I have. And when I do that, guess what? Causes problems every single time. Man, he had control of those emotions. He didn't. When we start making our decisions based on facts rather than feelings, we will start making better decisions. This is financially. This is in our marriage. This is in our ministry. This is in our life. I can't tell you how many marriages I've seen with people who get caught up in the heat of the moment, in the emotion. They say things that they regret and, they, and they'll even say, Preacher, I didn't mean it. Well, yes, you did if you said it because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. But those emotions got the control of them. They make a terrible decision. They say things that they can't take back and they do things that they can't take back. Man, I've seen people within the church setting man, get caught up. because some, you, By the way, you find out who people are when they don't get their way. <laughs> Not being, a man that doesn't have control over his own spirit you know what the word of God says he's like a city that has walls that are broken down you know what that basically means there's no defense around him they're going to die because army is everybody tracking me on that 
We've got to have control of our own spirit. Paul would have listened here. Guess what would have happened? By the way, I heard this illustration recently. It said if Henry Ford would have listened to the people, they just would have had faster horses. (laughs) Think about that. He would have listened to everybody else and didn't have vision and didn't see where... Is everybody... No, man, we've got to look and we've got to trust the promises of God. Don't make decisions based on the motions. The second thing that I notice in our text is he had conviction and courage. He wouldn't just play in church. Listen, he chose, think about this, he chose calling over comfort. He, he says here, not only am I willing to be bound, but what did he say? I'm willing to, this is, this is heavy, I'm willing to die for the name of Jesus. He wouldn't compromise that. And by the way, he wasn't a jerk about it. But what he said is, listen, I know my purpose. I've got some true grit. I've got some true conviction. All throughout Scripture, God's people, especially those that God used in a great way, you know what they had to have to do it? They had to have some courage. They had to publicly act on what God had told them when it didn't make sense to everybody else. Sure. Noah, man, he built, remember when he built that ark, they laughed at him. Yeah. They had never seen rain. Yeah. I bet they weren't laughing Daniel, remember him? Stood against the culture. Ends up in the lion's den. But he said, you know, I'm going to pray anyway. I'm going to do what's right anyway. Caleb, remember he had that courage to climb the mountain. Nehemiah, when Jerusalem's walls were torn down and people laughed and mocked. Man, he saw God do a miracle and they rebuilt those walls. And y'all know how, y'all know how quickly they built them? 52 days. That's insane. No machinery. No, no They built those walls back in 52 days. What about David? Courage to fight when no one else did. What about John the Baptist? He had his head cut off for preaching the truth. What about Peter? Had the courage not to let his failures define him. Sometimes we forget that. Remember, so Peter, I mean, we like to remember him. He preached that Pentecost sermon. 3,000 plus got saved. But just a few days before, guess where he was? He was sitting around a fire denying Jesus Christ himself. He didn't let his past define him. Some of us, if we're not careful, we'll let who others say we are. We'll let what things in the past happen as we are define who we are. Listen, you know who you are if you're saved tonight? You're a child of the king. You are joint heirs tonight. You need to embrace who God says you are. Don't let your past define you. Listen, you've got to move forward for the cause of Christ. You've got to have the courage to get past that. The list could go on and on. The point is this. It takes courage sometimes to follow Jesus. We all want courage, don't we? But very few actually possess it. If we want it, we must eat spiritual food. Daniel, three times a day, guess what he was doing? He's going to the Lord. Think about this. I can't help but think of Joshua. I love him. Joshua, chapter number one. This book of the law shall not depart out of my mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, then shalt thou have good success. Have I not commanded thee? Be strong and of good what? Courage. Be not afraid. Neither be dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Where, can I just ask you this tonight? Where is it in your life that you need to ask God for courage? Maybe to finally make a public profession of faith and be baptized scripturally. I have, and just as a sign that we've had through COVID, a lot of the churches didn't open up. A lot of the uh, other churches in town. I mean, we had people coming from churches that had never been saved, never heard the gospel. These Methodist churches, Luther, getting saved by the grace of God. I'm talking about adults in their 60s and 70s. We baptized this year. Took, that takes courage. Sure. That takes courage yeah. to decide. You know what? I've been. Uh, when we see what what is it in your life though? That decision you need to make. 
man, that you need some courage. Maybe to witness at work. Maybe to be a witness at work, you need to ask God to, be, to help you have courage to that. Maybe to repent from some sin that's weighing you down. You know, that takes courage sometimes. Maybe to stand up or separate from toxic friends that are pulling you down. Maybe to get over that people-pleasing addiction takes some courage. Maybe that social media addiction of comparison or that substance addiction. Maybe the courage to work through and out of the place of self-pity. Just let me say this tonight. Whatever it is that you don't feel like you can get through it, ask God for courage and resolve to get past it because just like He helped Paul, guess what He can do in your life? He can help you get through it. Thirdly, and here's really the message tonight, is this. If, if, if we, can, we can get to where we make decisions not based on emotion, and we can ask God for courage. But here's the main thing that all of us just need tonight. I think sometimes we just forget this. It's so simple. We need to, we need to actually really be committed to Jesus. And I want to ask you, are you really committed to Jesus tonight? Are you aware that if you're saved, He is in you and you are in Him, the Word of God says? Listen, are you committed to him? Look what he says in verse number 13. Look at these words. This is powerful. Then Paul answered, What mean ye to weep and to break my heart? For I am ready not to be bound only. Then I underline this in my Bible. But also to die at Jerusalem. For what? The name of the Lord Jesus. Man, what a name it is. The name of Jesus. I mean, he said this. I'm willing to die. Would y'all agree he was pretty serious about this thing? Man, some of us won't be willing to be inconvenienced. I've been there. Some of us aren't willing, some of us aren't willing to even obey. This joker was willing to die for the name of Jesus. You see, Paul, he his life had been changed by the power of the gospel through the blood of Jesus. He was willing to die for that name. Oh, it's a wonderful name. I love thinking about it. It's a beautiful name. Oh, it's a powerful name. It's a name that, it's the only name that brings life to the dead. Hey, it's a name that brings hope to the hopeless and help to the helpless. Paul knew through the name of Jesus that a better day was coming. John 16, these things have I spoken to you, that in me you might have peace, in the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 17, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceedingly an eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things are not seen, hey, they're eternal! You see, Paul was living his life, as we talked about prior. I think Sunday or Monday. He was living for another world. He knew that this old world's going to pass away. He knew that these things on this earth were only temporary. Following Jesus, listen to me tonight, is not always easy. And it not only does it take courage and conviction, but I'm just going to tell you tonight if you're going to be in this thing for decades and for your life, it's going to take some commitment. It's going to take some commitment. Paul, since his salvation, was sold out. He was committed to Jesus. He was willing to die for the name of Jesus. Death for following. I would say this was not some lukewarm, feel good, the way the world has presented hippie Jesus stuff. This was, I'm going to take my licks and I'm going to keep moving forward. You see, where we live many times is, Lord, as long as you provide for me, I'll serve you. Lord, as long as there's food on the table, I'll serve you. 
Heard the old story of the old preacher, Dr. John R. Rice, was in a hotel room one night after a meeting with another young evangelist, and the young evangelist began to pray. And he said, Lord, as long as you continue to provide for my family, I'll serve you. And as Lord, Lord, as long as there's money in the bank, I'll serve you. On and on and on. The story is told that Dr. Rice got down on his knees and said, Lord, even if you don't provide, I'll still serve you. Lord, even if there's not money in the bank, I'll still serve you. Lord, even if the health isn't there, I'll still serve you. Paul sent salvation. Listen. He had the resolve and commitment to faith in Christ. Isn't that what the martyrs had? You know it do some of us good if you've never read it to pull out the Fox's Book of Martyrs and find out how weak and sorry and spoiled we are. Throughout history, the church has faced persecution. We hadn't seen persecution yet. We don't know a thing about persecution. Romans during the first three centuries, listen, they threw Christians for doing what we're doing right here to wild animals. They, they crucified some. Listen, they used them as human torches to light parties that I can't even speak of in the house of God. They used God's people to do that. Thousands and thousands of deaths throughout history of the church. Many of these martyrs faced their deaths with grace, with calmness, and with Christ-likeness. The church was all, by the way, the church always thrived during persecution. You know why? Because God always separated the sheep from the goats during those times. You find out, hey, when persecution comes, you find out who's real. Hey, when there's a gun to your head, you find out who's playing games and playing some religion. These guys, listen, they had, they had commitment. Tertullian, that church father said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Them guys would watch their fellow Christians be murdered. And guess what they did the next day? They showed up and sang God's praises and preached God's word. Commitment. Polycarp was a disciple of the Apostle John, an early church leader whose life ended when he refused to betray his Lord. Asked one last time to disavow his Christ, the old man replied, listen to this, Eighty and six years have I served him. He has done me no wrong. How can I speak evil of my king who saved me? And here's the martyr's prayer as recorded by a historian that he wrote. Father of your beloved and blessed son Jesus Christ through whom you have received the knowledge of you. I bless you that you have counted me worthy of this day and of this hour. That's what he's saying about when he's being killed. Listen. That I might be in the number of the martyrs. Among these I may be received before you today in a rich and acceptable sacrifice. As you have beforehand prepared and revealed. Wherefore I also praise you for everything. I bless you. I glorify you. Through the eternal high priest Jesus Christ your beloved son. Through whom with him in the Holy Spirit be glory unto you both now for the ages to come. Amen. That's what he wrote on his deathbed. Eusebius adds, when he offered up his amen and had finished his prayer, the firemen there lighted the fire and he died. It's amazing to think about that, isn't it? Talk about commitment. Peter, you know how he died? He was crucified upside down. Andrew, the brother of Peter, was scourged, then tied rather than nailed to a cross so he would suffer longer. Andrew lived for two days during as he's he's hanging on that cross, preached God's word as he was dying. James, the son of Zebedee, or James the Greater, was arrested and led to a place of execution whereby his unnamed accuser was moved back by courage. He not only repented and converted on the spot, but asked to be executed alongside James. Would y'all say that's a witness right there? The Roman executioner obliged and both men were beheaded simultaneously. 
John was boiled alive. When that didn't work, they executed him to Pat, or exiled him to Patmos, where some say he died. Philip was scourged, listen, in Egypt and thrown into prison and crucified. Bartholomew, by two accounts, was either beaten and then crucified or skinned alive and beheaded. Thomas, listen, was run through with a spear. Matthew was stabbed in the back in Ethiopia. James, the son of Alcius, uh, known as James the Less, was a head of the church in Jerusalem, one of the longest living apostles, perhaps exceeded only by John. At the age of 94, beaten and stoned by persecutors who then killed him by hitting him on the head with a club. Thaddeus, or Jude, was crucified at Edessa. Simeon the Canaanite was crucified in England. Y'all want to talk about commitment tonight? Want to talk about being inconvenienced tonight? Man, we're selfish. I am. When I start thinking about this stuff, the stuff that can get me off track so easily... John Huss, the Bohemian reformer, was burned at the stake in 1415. Before his accusers lit the fire, they placed his head on a crown of paper with painted devils on it. He answered this mockery by saying, My Lord Jesus Christ, for my sake, wore a crown of thorns. Why should I not then, for His sake, wear this light crown, be it ever so? Truly I will do this willingly. After wood was stacked up to Huss's neck, the Duke of Bavaria asked him to renounce preaching. Trusting completely in God's word, Huss replied, In the truth of the gospel which I preached, I die willingly and joyfully today. The wood was ignited and Huss died while singing, Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, have mercy on me. Latimer and Nicola Ridley, two men burned at the stake for their faith in Oxford in 1555. According to sources, at the flames left up, Latimer was heard to say calmly, Be of good comfort, Mr. Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by the grace of God in England as I never shall be, as a light that shall never be put out. There was a great price paid by our Savior, wasn't there, on the cross of Calvary? There's been a great price that's been paid by the name of Jesus, by the martyrs. It was the name that changed Paul's life from who persecuted Christians to one who was willing to die for the name of Christ. And here's the sermon tonight, we're done. Has it changed your life? Has that gospel changed your life like that? Man, do we have that type of commitment? You see, I found out the longer I'm in churches and the longer I look at my own life so often, we're in this thing when it's comfortable. We're in this thing when things are going our way. Your average Baptist church, churches, they'll fight over the color of carpet over some stupid business meeting. Gag a maggot tonight. We've lost what the purpose of the gospel of Jesus Christ is. The world's dying and going to hell and we bicker and we argue and we fight and we get ignorant with each other. Most, and listen, can I just say tonight, we need to get back to the place and I thank God that you've got a pastor that's this way and it feels like there's a church that most of us this way but people that are committed to God no matter what comes their way, people that decide it doesn't matter who laughs, it doesn't matter what I feel like doing, it doesn't matter what anybody else says, hey, we're going forward for the cause of Christ, it doesn't matter. I tell our church, if it comes a day where it's me, my wife and my daughter sitting there, we're getting up and we're preaching God's word and we're going till the trumpet sounds. Man, we need that kind of commitment once again. People that don't let little Johnny and Susie decide if they're going to be in the house of God. Some men that stand up once again and lead their family and say, I'm going to have some grit. And that doesn't mean we're jerks about it. And that doesn't mean we're dictators. But it means this. We lead our families because we're going to have some commitment. And we say, hey, we're going to be, when the doors are open, we're going to be in the church of God and the house of God. Have y'all figured out? The world's getting our young people. The world's even getting many of us. It's not going to hurt them to have them in God's house. We've got to have some commitment in these hard days. We haven't seen anything yet, have we? 
Man, I heard people saying, oh, we're seeing persecution and we're seeing all this stuff. Can I just say, we haven't seen anything yet, but may we be the kind of people now that learn to fall in love with Jesus and we spend time with Him so much that when the day does come, because it will come, we have the faith to stand and we have the faith to continue and we have the faith to be where God's put us and where He's called us to be. Listen, Whitehall, Whitehall right now could see revival if one or two of us would get on fire for God like that and say, I'm going to tell everybody I can. I'm going to pray for everybody I can. I'm going to witness to everybody I can. You couldn't keep the people out of here. There'd be people driving for miles around if people would get a burden. I'm just telling you tonight, Acts chapter 1 and 2, the church came in unity and they begin to pray and they begin to see God's face and things begin to happen. You know what happened? You know why? Because they weren't comfortable where they were. They wanted to see God do something. They wanted to decide that church is going to be more than a chair and that we're not just going to come here because it's a thing to do. No, we believe, we believe that God can do today in 2022 what He did in the book of Acts. If I didn't believe that tonight, I'd quit doing what I'm doing. I'd quit traveling across the country and being away from my family. I'd go get an honest job and make some money. Is everybody awake here? But I believe with everything that's in me. I'm just telling you tonight that God's power is still real, that He can still change lives, that He can still make a difference in your life and in this town in this place I'm just telling you tonight if we have that type of resolve and we continue I want to encourage you tonight I don't know what you're going through I don't know how long you've been here I don't know anything I really don't know much about this church but I do know this Satan doesn't like what's happening here Satan doesn't like a packed house on a Sunday morning in the middle of nowhere he doesn't like God uh, saving people and changing lives and seeing baptisms seeing good things done and there's some people that are going to be here tonight that aren't going to be here in six months in a year you decide that you're going to be one of the ones that's going to get some grit and some fortitude and say hell or high water Satan or not problems tears Heartaches. Listen, we're moving forward for the cause of Christ. Yes. Yes. You see, we live in a day where, we, we, even in, in this area, where I'm at, there's a church on every corner. Here there's not, but we still do this. We don't like a little thing here. Oh, we'll just go somewhere else. Sure. We'll just do something else. We'll just, listen, can I just tell you how great churches are built? It's when people just decide we're in for the long haul. As long as there's something that's not scripture, we're all in, baby, till the trumpet sounds. We believe that God wants to use this as a lighthouse to reach His community. Just driving through this area, I can tell you right now, addiction's a problem in this area. You know what the answer is? I'm just telling you, it's not more AA meetings. It's not more programs. The answer is the gospel tonight. That's why God's placed your preacher here in this church here. Hey, the answer for the marriages and the broken homes and the poverty in this area. It's not some, it's not some mission somewhere. It's not some YMCA. It's not some program where you can get food. No, it's the house of God. And we need to look at what we're doing tonight. It's a big deal. This is how God works in our day. And I just want to encourage you, when you get to that moment when you feel like quitting, when you feel uncomfortable, when you feel like your emotions want you to do something else, have the type of resolve that Paul had. Say, you know what? I'm going to reject my feelings and I'm going to trust the promises of God. You know, the word of God says this, if we lift him up, he will draw all men unto me. That's right. I know your preacher well enough to know this. When you come in here on Sunday morning, he's not giving you some opinion. He's not pulling out some crazy thing. He's going to that next passage and that next verse. He's feeding you the word of God. That's a blessing. That's where God can do revival. I'm just telling you. People call me all the time. How do y'all see what y'all are seeing at your church in the middle of the country? I have no idea. The only thing I know is we lift up the name of Jesus. We preach the word of God. There's only one hero in the church. It's the name that's above every name. High and lifted up tonight. Y'all continue to do that. And you start having your own worship time like that. You know, sometimes it's good not just to worship here, but at home too. 
Man, you want to have some revival in your life? Maybe tomorrow morning, get, wake up a little bit early and open this book and begin to think about how good he's been and how he saved your sorry soul and how you were on a slick road to hell. But he, listen, but he loved you and he sent his son for you and he died for you and he redeemed you. Listen, he paid that price you can't afford to pay. And maybe, at, maybe in the quietness of your home when nobody's around or driving down the road, you start just praising him a little bit for it and just say, thank you, Lord, for your blood. Thank you, Lord, for salvation. Lord, thank you, Lord, for how I, I had a messed up life but Lord you've straightened it out I was a mess and going nowhere but today is everybody yeah. listen I'm just telling you God, God can work in your life in a great way man decide that you're not going to make decisions based on emotion decide that you're going to have courage decide that you're going to be committed yeah. to Jesus every head bowed tonight every eye closed